هاي كيفكم كيفكم جميعا ان شاء الله كلكم بخير اليوم ان شاء الله اللايف حقي هيكون مع دكتور بن تالي هيبدا الان ف ام غانا بي ويتنج فور هيم تو كم اند جوين ماي لايف ام سو اكسايتد تو هاف هيم اون ماي لايف جدا متحمسه يكون معايا على اللايف الا حابب يسمع اكثر عن التجميل النسائي من ناحيه الشد البشره من ناحيه هو مره مشهور في شيء اسمه ذا اورال ليفت والليب ليفت فموضوع جدا مهم فاتمنى كلكم تحضروا معايا هاي دكتور هاو ار يو Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you wake up very early. You're an early riser. <laughs> Today is late, thankfully. Oh, really? I was just thinking the other day. I was like, what time does he wake up? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, usually it's like five, 5 p.m. here. Five o'clock? Yeah, usually five in the morning and we start at 5.30. And uh, I was working until 9 or 10 p.m. And then now I'm trying to change it to wake up later. So recently we've been getting up at six, which is amazing. That's amazing. You know, honestly, I've been researching you so much and uh, it's so impressive to see such a resume, such uh, such talent and such drive in someone. Like I've been just reading about you. I'm like, wow, if I have a son, my son, I'm pregnant, I'm having <laughs> another boy. I'm like, honestly, his mom must be so proud, really. Um, she's, she's proud of, of anything we do, even like the smallest little tiny I'm thing. I'm sure, but no, you're, you're too humble. You graduated from UCLA. You did your residency in Columbia and New York Presbyterian and uh, Cornell. Like seriously, like you have such an amazing track record. And yeah. I also know you studied in Spain and you also worked with the Red Cross. That's another thing. Yeah, yeah, that was a long seriously, time. You, you do it all. <laughs> it was, uh, that was the fun part of my life where I used to just travel and have fun. And I decided to stay in Spain for about six months. So. That's it. And you have two fellowship in, uh, two fellowships in reconstructive facial surgery, right? Yeah, so one in cosmetic and reconstruction, and that was with Andrew Giacono in New York uh, about eight, nine years ago. And then the other one was for pediatric birthmarks. So kids... Yeah, I, was just, I read that you're very, you specialize in, in birthmarks. Uh, yes. Abnormal yeah, I, birthmarks? I, I specialize in the big birthmarks. So the big hemangiomas, port wine stains, the ones where the lip grows out of the face or... Uh, big anomalies, but I stopped doing that just because my practice went all cosmetic. And I've kind of, you know, I feel like if I'm not doing something all the time, I'm not going to be the best at it. So I've slowed down at doing that. How did you choose um, to like, I know, like, you know, there are so many plastic surgeons, but I know you chose the face, like you always talk about your, your why did you choose the face specifically? So I, I grew up, um, playing piano, I grew up doing very like little tiny things with my hands. I'd always be sewing. And lampshades. I heard lamp you used to sew lampshades, yeah. It, yeah, so I loved detail. And it's not something I ever thought about. I just loved detail and I like, I was a perfectionist and not just, every doctor is a perfectionist. I was obsessive. Like I just like to become really, really good at things. And I was never scared or shy to like show what I was doing when I was a kid. So I, I was initially, just not later. And within the realms of surgery, when we're looking at the different parts of the body, they, they first say you have to pick your fluid, which means like if you're doing general surgery, you have to be okay with like poo-poo. <laughs> if you're doing <laughs> yeah. stuff, you have to be okay with mucus, those kind of things. But uh, first you pick that. But then I decided that whatever I did, I wanted to be more delicate, more complex, and more difficult. And the most difficult to me or most complex uh, was the face, the head and the neck. So I wanted to do cancer of the head and the neck and reconstruction because all the crazy anatomy is there. And I love the 
when I was in medical school and going through taking faces apart and really trying to understand the face. I, I love that. So um, I wanted to be a head and neck surgeon doing cancer reconstruction and getting rid of cancers. And then it was too hard for me uh, going through residency and like telling people they had cancer. So for that reason, I started to back away from it a little bit, which was hard for me to do, but I didn't want to live the rest of my life, you know, telling people they had cancer. So I eventually yeah. went over more towards the reconstruction part of cancers. From that, I ended up finding the cosmetic, which was actually slightly more difficult to get things perfect. So a rhinoplasty, which seems like such a simple surgery, is one of the hardest surgeries you can do because of the lack of predictability. So... Mm -hmm. I fell in love with that, which is, you know, it's, uh, I think only sick people do, but that's what No, happens. no, honestly, you know, I, I, I studied, I went to college in Boston and when I left Saudi Arabia, I was like 17 years old and I studied business. But if I go back in time, I wish I knew what I wanted more and I would have done dermatology. Like I'm 38 now, too late. But in general, like I really, really have a passion for medicine. And this is why most of my platform is interviewing doctors, although I'm supposed to be in beauty and fashion, but this is something I really enjoy because I really do believe that there's a lot that there's a lack of information and people like and people you know there's so many doctors out there but not everybody says the truth or there's a lot of bad work out there I've I've seen so many of your podcasts and you talk about these things doctors that are very commercial and there's so many mistakes that happen and this is so disappointing so I feel people should be more informed and in our yeah. part of the world you see a lot of mistakes as well so this is why I loved having you on this live and uh, one of the reasons as well is one of my friends visited you in Dubai and uh, I'm from Saudi and she's like, you have to come. And I couldn't come at the time. And she was like, you know what I loved about Dr. Ben? I was like, what? She's like, I wanted to do a million things. And when I went to him, he said, no, no, no. And he only did Botox for me and that he's not commercial. He's, he's one of those doctors that's not commercial. And I always stuck in my head and I started following you. And uh, I'm so glad uh, we're here today um, on this live. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you, I, I, I saw in one of your interviews that you said you wanted to be a doctor after going to um, a doctor as a kid to remove wax from your ears. Yeah. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, his name was Dr. Zlotnik, and I was five <laughs> years old, and I was born in San Jose in Northern California, and uh, I remember, like, the exam room, I remember the day, uh, yeah, he pulled wax out of this ear, and he showed it to me, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can hear it. <laughs> And then he'd come and give you a lollipop. It's one of those like old school doctors. And from that day, I was just fascinated with him and the way he like, the way he was, he was just very intellectual and had this kind of very warm, he was a very like warm, caring person. And back then when like a, maybe still, I don't know, but when a doctor touched you, you like felt something. Yeah. And so since that time, I was fascinated with it. And I always was fascinated with, biology and chemistry and science always since I was a kid I just loved looking yeah. at the world and what's going on I was very quiet as a kid so I'd sit there in the car and I'd just stare at the window and I'd you know think about why why is this guy why? and um, regardless of what I ended up doing professionally I knew I had to learn this stuff so I said okay even if I don't become a doctor I have to learn this I want to become a doctor but even if I don't I have to learn it so I went to college and I um, I was going in that path but I couldn't wait and I started doing physiological sciences, which is pretty much like the first two years of medical school. Yeah. Um, so I really just was fascinated by it from then. And I knew I either wanted to be a teacher or a doctor, but a teacher can't be a doctor. A doctor can be a teacher. So sure. I just wanna go be a doctor. If you're good with your hands, I feel you, you have that thing. And I heard that you really also enjoy, like from what, what, I, what I've been reading about, you really enjoy 
surgery. I love surgery. Yeah, it's the it's it's for me. It's a game. It's and that's why like if your friend came to me in Dubai and she says he's not commercial, it's not that I like try to be not commercial or it's you know my intent. Uh, there's two things that like lead me to just being like that. One of them is uh, one of them is I. I care so much about the patient. I try to read them and try to think about like really what's going to make them happy. What's practical. I try to play it out in my head. If I did this, is it going to change their life? If I did this, is it going to do anything for them? This person's going to be, you know, so annoying. They're going to go crazy. We're going to drive them insane by doing a surgery. Yeah. They want to look better, but I'm going to ruin their lives by doing it. So you have that practicality aspect. Then I have the selfish part of me, which is I don't care at all about the patient. I just want my results to be perfect. And, I don't think about the patient, I think about me. And I say, okay, if I did this to her, it's gonna make a big difference. I'm gonna be proud of my before and after. If I did this, you're barely gonna see it. I'm like, I'm not gonna be proud of that. I'm gonna look at it and say, why did I do this to this person? It's you know a waste of time. So um, I really worry about myself a lot because I, it's for me, it's a game. I wanna make things look pretty. I wanna make things look nice. And it's a, Oh, did I lose it? Okay. So I want to make things look pretty and nice. But then when you combine that with what the patient wants practically, it works out where you only do the things that you need to do versus some people come in and I say, can I do anything I want? They tell me yes. And I do. Them. And it's because I want to make everything look nice. That's amazing. Because like, you know, sometimes you get patients that want so many things that you, they shouldn't do. So it's also sometimes nice to have someone that actually guides um, yeah. I want to I start asking you about the, like, you know, the upper lift lip. This is something you're very known for. And yeah. I was also watching uh, one of your YouTube uh, versions where you said that you can sense and see Juvederm uh, immediately on a client by just looking at her lips. And one thing till today I haven't done my lips is because I, I see so many duck faces around me. And it's, yeah. uh, it, to me, it's, it's really horrible because you start having this, like, it's as if you have extra skin here. And you said that, that there are two types, actually wrote it down, that you don't like in Juvederm. We said Juvederm and Ultra XC, those two are really bad. You're not a fan of those two uh, products for the lips, right? Uh, Ultra or Ultra Plus, but that's in the hyaluronic acid family. So okay. hyaluronic acid is the clear gels that we inject. And then there are other injectable fillers. They used to be collagen. Collagen doesn't exist much anymore. Mm -hmm. Then there's silicone. There's polymers, which are like silicone. Uh, like Aquamed, Bellafil, Aquafil, those things. And then there is Radius, hydroxyapatite paste. So within, and fat, there's also fat. So in that world of silicone, Aquafil, all of Aquamed, fat, um, and Radius, I don't like any of those for the lip. They're terrible for the lip. Um, fat, you can get away with. So yeah, you can do a little bit of fat and it's fine. I do it very, very, very judiciously, small amount. Uh, but I can go into detail why they're all bad. And they're definitively all bad. They're not for the lip. They should not go on the lip. The lip is a very sensitive, delicate, soft, mobile, anatomic part of your face. You can't use those things. Um, in the hyaluronic acid family, um, the reason I don't like Juvederm is not because Juvederm can't be done well. There are doctors who can use Juvederm and they can do an amazing job with Juvederm if they put micro aliquots, very small amount in the vermilion and they're very talented. But I have to assume that the majority of practitioners are not very talented. They're average, which is the rule of the world, right? You have your standard deviation, you have your curves. This is reality. It's not, I want to be mean to people. It's the reality. People are not that talented at it, no matter how smart they are. And you can see it in the market. It's obvious. <laughs> yes. You, that's why you notice fake plastic surgery. It's just like going to high school. You go to high school, you have 5% of the class is super intelligent. They're the ones that get the A's, the A pluses. The other 5% is 
pretty intelligent. And the rest of them are like just above average, average and below average. That's how right. plastic. So I'm assuming this because I've seen it. And I know that if you put something that's not fully controllable in that person's hand, it's going to have a higher chance of causing a problem. And the problem that you see with uh, Juvederm uh, Ultra or Ultra Plus is that once somebody injects either a little bit too much or they inject it at the border, it immediately starts migrating north faster than the other fillers do. So all the other fillers can do that, but they do it to this much. Juvederm does it to that much. So uh, that's and why. And there are some amazing practitioners, like uh, there's a lecturer in, in London, Dr. Uh, Harris, Stephen Harris. He does Juvederm and he prefers Juvederm and he's one of the world's experts. And there's no way I'd ever argue with him because he's right in his hands. It's very predictable and it's perfect. But I look at the other 95% of the world and I say, you're giving them a weapon. I'm like, they're just going to damage things more. Give them something more controlled. Let them play with that. If they ever feel like they can get to the ultra expert level you are, they can use Juvederm. So for that reason, for the lip, I don't like it. But uh, it is a good filler for other parts of the face that are not uh, sensitive to small amounts of migration and not sensitive to color change from water retention or a crystal appearance. So when you okay. put in the lip, it turns the lip white and it makes it bulge. If you put it in the earlobe, it makes it white. If you put it in the under eye, it makes it gray, blue, or green, and it draws in water. If you put it in the nasolabial fold, it hydrates it nicely, and it's fantastic. So it depends and how it you depends use it. depends on where you put it. So it just depends on where yeah. you put it around your face. Yes, and it is not indicated for the lip. There's no. no world that came and said, do it in the lip. Nobody said that. It's not FDA approved for the lip, or it wasn't last I checked. Um, so no, it was never indicated for the lip. There are other fillers that do have lip indications and under eye indications, cheek indications. Nothing has an earlobe indication, but um, for, yeah. for that reason. I like it, but in itself, it's not a terrible filler. It's just hard to control, harder to control than the other ones in the lip. And what about the lip lift? Is it is, it, is everybody a candidate, or do, or is it certain, or is it only certain clients that you recommend a lip lift for? Mm -hmm. Yes, so the threshold that I have to recommend a lip lift is much lower than most other doctors, just because I have a little more control over what I can do with it. Uh, but the lip lift mainly is for people. Classically, it was for people with wrinkles in their lip or hanging upper lip who wanted to shorten it because they were getting old and it started drooping. Um, now, it can be done in a very controlled way. So it can be done for people who have just been born with a long upper lip and they're young and need to do it. They don't have good tooth show, not because of tooth support, but because the lip itself is long. Um, that's for lifting, lip lifting. Then there's a lip lift for lip accent and beauty and balance. That's a whole nother game. Yeah. So a lip lift uh, on somebody, and this is the new article that I'm publishing, uh, I can show people how to gain balance out of doing a lip lift, make a lip just look prettier. So you're actually designing it now a little bit with, you know, within limits, but you're designing it to make it look prettier and more balanced so the side isn't buried because you can't lift the side of the lip with filler. Uh, or you get a little more accent and you get it to turn upwards instead of forwards. You're controlling the vector of the lip, the shape of the lip make a lip look nicer instead of angry. You know, these are things that you can actually do with a lip lift and it's called the lift, but realistically you could do a very small amount of lift and change the balance of it. So um, it does have new applications and it's definitely more popular now, especially because people have been overfilled and younger patients are just getting heavier and heavier. Because let's say you use something. 
they start so young. Like now everybody starts doing their lips at like 18 and 19. It's so young. By the time they reach like their 40s, it's been so overused. So I feel their lip starts changing. Correct. And the, there's this cycle that patients go through. They get injected, uh, let's say day one. By day 14, they say, oh my God, I love it. But they're still swollen. And they think that's how it's going to stay. Week three, week four, it goes to what it's supposed to be. And they think it's gone. Even though it went from this to that, back to this, they think it's back to this. It's not. So they go back six months later and they said, I loved what you did for me, but it was really only good for the first month and it went away. Why does it go away so fast on me? And I'm staring at them. I'm like, are you blind? It's right <laughs> still there. They say, no, 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 it's gone. I'm like, All right, let's look at a picture. I show them a picture. They go, oh my God, I guess it is still there. But that's me telling them. Another doctor would say, oh my God, you're right. It's gone. Fill them again. Come back six months. Oh, doctor, it's gone. It only lasted six months. Fill them again. This keeps going over and over again. So people get incrementally larger lips. Then you get migration. Migration can happen this way. It can happen that way. It can happen that way. So people start getting wider lips. They start getting more projected lips with bumps. And they start getting a monkey look as it, as it bulges and it turns white over here. Once that happens, and again, that's why I said Juvederm is the one where it's harder to control. It migrates 10 millimeters instead of the classic two millimeters of like, you know, or Volbella, Volur. Uh, once it gets above that vermilion border, it starts to affect the way your muscle functions. So your muscle, which smiles and has all this tone to it, starts to become flaccid and lazy, and it starts to hang more and more. So they, now their aging process accelerated because they have the filler up here around the muscle. So not just the expansile effect that people worry about where you're stretching the skin, you're actually making the muscle lazy and more flaccid. Yeah. The, or the, the, the lip lift, how, how long is the procedure and what's the downtime? I just wanted to have an idea about that. So it used to take me 20 minutes. Uh, now it takes me an hour. So yeah, most, people, most things when you get better at it, it gets shorter. Like a facelift used to take me five hours. Now it takes me under two hours. Um, the, uh, the lip and lift. all under local anesthesia, right? It's not like uh, full anesthesia. It's local anesthesia for 95% of people. 5% want some sedation. Um, so it takes about an hour, and it's a combination of a lip lift and a corner lift now. So on a, a part of a lip lift is a corner lift for most patients, where I talk to them and say, you know, I might put a small incision over here. And uh, what I'm doing is removing excess height in different areas. So let's say I take a, I can take more height out from the side in the middle. And then at the end of that, I look and I do a corner lift sometimes. So that takes an hour. It's the amazing. recovery used to be two, three weeks. Uh, and now, now my months. And it's because uh, I do something called a deep plane. Deep plane lip lift means that I'm separating in the deep plane, which is the plane between the smas and the muscle. So these two layers that you can separate, roll over each other, and it maintains the function of the mimetic muscle underneath it, just like in the deep plane facelift. You detach the smas from the smiling muscles, you roll them over, put it back down. This way the smiling muscles don't get affected. And that's part of the reason why they're pulled, their dynamic change, character changes. So that's one of the benefits of a deep plane. There's way more benefits. The you downside have aura, is something called the aura facelift, and then you have the what's the difference? Because you know, I hear so many terms. Like I had an interview with Dr. Kale, and he said that he does the ponytail, and then you hear another one says that he does a vertical. What's the difference yeah. between all these terms? Like you know, I, I want. I'm just trying to understand because everybody starts telling me, "Oh, he does the aura lift, and he does the ponytail," but apparently they're all the same, right? Uh, they're not all the same, but they can be all the same. So. Okay. Um, 
we come up with these names for two reasons, for people to help identify what we do. And the other is they're sales gimmicks. They're gimmicks to make people think you're unique. So those are the two reasons why doctors do it. Now, realistically, the way we do things is unique. Everybody does something in a different way. It's no, just hard yeah. to market that. It's hard to advertise that. It's hard to show that to people. So you give it a name and people start identifying it with a certain look. Um, so I could call something that, you know, I can call it ponytail five. Someone else called ponytail three. Someone else can call it horsetail. Okay, you come up with different names for it. It might be the same, it might be different. So you don't really know. The name is essentially a gimmick most of the time. Sometimes it's to help explain things. So in Dr. Keo's um, case, his lift, the ponytail lift, there's different types. And one of them is a deep plane endoscopic lift, which is entirely different than an external deep plane lift. So he goes from uh, two incisions usually, but comes down into a deep plane into the face this direction, releases the mid face, and then sometimes has to go back over here to access the neck if it doesn't come up fully with what he's doing. Uh, that's one kind of lift. The way I do it is an extended uh, anatomic deep plane, which or an extended deep plane where are my incisions go around here. My access point is the ear. It's not endoscopic, and I release everything from front to back in one piece. So it's different. I saw you doing it on uh, on Instagram. Uh, or sorry, on YouTube, you were just lifting and the lady was awake. It was amazing. This yeah. is how you were doing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pulling her skin through here. Yeah, and it takes two hours. And uh, the idea of the aura lift or an extended uh, deep plane lift is you're not pulling skin anymore. You're releasing all the droopy soft tissue from its attachment points and you're taking it back up. You're putting it down. You're not pulling, you're not stretching, you're not doing anything. Uh, but the name for these procedures is essentially, it doesn't matter. It's so like it's marketing, it's like marketing. It's more important to know the name Dr. Keo than it is to know the name Ponytail. Right. Because Dr. Keo is the unique one. He's the one doing whatever he needs to do to get that result. So it's more important. Saudi now they call you the doctor that does this aura facelift. <laughs> or, yeah. so, he said we had but, everybody saying, he does something called aura facelift and the lip lift. This is like what they're calling you right now. And this is like how the name that you do yeah, our right. facelift is everybody saying that right now. Instead of there's this guy, Dr. Tale or Ben, he does whatever it takes to get the best lift possible in the entire yeah. world. You have to think about it. There's yeah, this guy, he's talented, he's trained, he's experienced. He has the eye for these things. He's not a scumbag. And he does whatever it takes to be the best to make sure nobody's better than him. Not because he's competitive, because he's really, really, really good. And when you see, right, and when you see his results, you see that no matter what kind of face he gets, whether it's a big face, a small face, a dark face, a light face, he gets the same consistent result out of it. Not the same person, not the same look. Consistent results, meaning no matter what's thrown at him, he gets a good result. And that's what you want. Yeah, you, exactly. to, you don't want to say, well, I saw 100 pictures. I like those five. I don't like the other 95. No, you want to look at 100 pictures, no matter what the person looks like and say, I love what this guy did with every single photo because that means that the doctor's capable. True, because each face is different. You can't just like say, I'm gonna do the same with this person and this client, it just changes. Exactly, and, and you have the style. Like, you know, you might, I might like what something more simple, somebody wants someone, something more drastic. It all depends, I think. Well, yeah, and, and that's another misunderstanding people have. There's uh, between drastic, simple, natural, unnatural, subtle, extreme, um, they confuse all these. So when you go to a surgeon, the best surgeon in cosmetics, the most talented, 
is someone who can perform the extreme. They can perform massive changes, but they still stay, stay subtle and natural. So yeah, that's true. like the really talented surgeon. And they don't look at the patient and say, I'm going to do less to keep them natural. No, they say, everything I do is natural, no matter what I do to this person. But let me see what's actually going to make a difference. No matter what I do, it's going to be natural. But let me see if they need one thing or 10 things. The less I do, the better because I'm diminishing their healing time and their risk. The more I do, potentially the bigger improvement I get. So we're always playing with that balance. Yeah. You, as a patient, you never have to decide, I want subtle or natural. Uh, I mean, you, you, everyone should want that. You find the surgeon who does subtle or natural. And then at that point, you don't tell the surgeon, uh, you know, what to do to keep you subtle and natural. You assume everything they do is going to be subtle and natural. Yeah, you're right. I really like the whole natural look. I feel actually you look younger when you go over when you go overboard. You actually you look older, in my opinion. Yes, and a lot of the classic surgeries uh, in aging face make you look older. So the the trade off is real. Meaning, um, you would tell a person who is like seventy years old or fifty, and they want a facelift. Classically, you say wait till you're seventy because. When you do a facelift, you're going to have a different hairline. You're going to be a little pulled look. You know, it's a different, there's, yeah. a, there's a look to it, unfortunately. With upper eyelids, for example, you have excess eyelid skin. So they get rid of excess skin. Uh, but when you only do that and then you go melt a little fat, you end up looking more hollow, which makes you look older in a different way. So, yes, you have less so You don't skin. recommend doing that. For example, I'm actually considering doing that. So I just wanted to ask you, so you don't recommend doing the eyelid surgery alone? at like, for example, in your third, in your late 30s, or you think you should do it the whole thing together? You can, but it's not age dependent. So you typically wait until you go to a really talented doctor for eyes, which would be, you know, there's obviously like me who does aging face and eyes, and then there's specialists like Guy Mastery and Michael Groth, who are like the kings in, you know, oculoplastics. And uh, you go to somebody who's a specialist, and they look at you and you ask them, I'm feeling heavy, what is it? Could it be the brows? Could it be the eyelids? Could it be that I have hollowing in the eyelids? Could it be that I have skin quality changes in the eyelids? There's all these things that go into it. And the doctor, if they're talented, would say, no, 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 you don't need skin removal. You just need a little volume. Or no, you don't need upper eyelids. You just need a brow lift. So once that doctor tells you that, it doesn't matter if you're 30 years old or 50 years old, it'll be a good time to do it. Yeah. But with upper eyelids, you might have to repeat it in 10 years. So part of their decision-making is, can I wait another five years? Is it going to affect this patient that much if I do it now? And um, very, very often I tell people, no, 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 wait five more years. Let me just do it for you then. Otherwise, you're going to do it four times in your life instead of twice. Like time it appropriately for something that needs to be repeated. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you is about, um, uh, we were talking about brow lift the other day. Um, and you said that you shouldn't be coloring or you should never do tattoos uh, outside your skin or remove hair and go above because that also yeah. affects. Uh, later on when you want to do a facelift so you were yeah. talking about that and you said uh, one thing I really liked what you said that you said the ponytail facelift doesn't suit ever the ponytail um, this thing the the eye lift the, what do they call it the, the lift brow around lift. the eyebrow brow lift you said that it doesn't actually work on everyone and that you should choose your candidate correctly let's talk about that a bit more because you know now it's the fad like I want to have the Gigi Hadid I want to have this sharp eye but then yeah. again, I don't think everybody's going to look like Gigi Hadid or Bella Hadid. You know what I mean? No, and, and, and for years, what people thought was a brow lift, now maybe they've done it. 
but for years, I can tell you definitively, they had not done it. When everybody thought they had a brow lift and were advertising that, oh, I do this with threads and I do this uh, with a lift and look, the Hadiths have it. That's how they look like that. That's how Kendall Jenner looked like that. For years, it was not true. They hadn't done anything. All they were doing was plucking out the brow, drawing it out, and then putting a tight ponytail. Now maybe they've done it, but back then they hadn't. So uh, I think people were, you know, misunderstood what was really happening. And they all got too excited and tried to do brow lifts. So just as with the upper eyelids, where you go do an excision of skin, but you can hollow someone, yes, your skin gets better looking, but then you look hollower and older and sunken. So you got one benefit, three negatives. Okay, with okay. brow lifts, same thing. If you lift somebody who doesn't need it, yes, they get a nice arch to it. You got one benefit. But then they look surprised, they look startled, they look older, and they start to age in a strange way, and their eyes have strain on them. So again, one benefit, three negatives. That's not a good surgery. So that's why you have to look at it and say, okay, I want all positives, and the only negative I want is risk of surgery, which happens, and uh, downtime, meaning recovery. Those are my only you know, negative. Positives should all be uh, in your favor. So that's that. As far as the... Um, coloring of the eyebrows uh you're you know you're not going to uh sometimes you go to a very talented person who does eyebrows most of the time they're not trained on anatomy they're not trained on anything they're just you know someone with a makeup box yeah. and if you you know if you look at the like gangsters in east la who you know we call them like <laughs> um they're not really the best at putting on eyebrow makeup they put it on up here and they arch it and yeah. clap that was happening to everybody in the 80s, not just uh, gangsters. Everybody in the 80s was doing that. So, but we've learned better taste than that. We don't go as extreme anymore. And what's happening is their eyebrows are not just hair. You have eyebrow hair, you have eyebrow skin, eyebrow fat, and eyebrow periosteum. You have all these things that are part of the brow. The brow is like four or five layers. There's a lot of layers to it. So it's crazy that somebody would go try to translocate the eyebrow hair onto the forehead. And that's what they're doing. Anytime you draw above your brow line, you're putting your brow hair onto your forehead, which makes people- This is an issue we have a lot in, in Saudi. And you see a lot of women with a bad tattoo and then she tries to remove it with a white tattoo. And then you just start seeing women with a lot of paint around the eyebrows because they've done this, as you said, in the 80s and 90s with tattoos yeah. that actually uh, are long lasting, that they never go away. They've, you know, the, the ones that just stay right. forever. The blue one that turns blue. So when they want to do a facelift after the eyebrow becomes somewhere else, and it's just such a hassle. So, so what happens? Ask you. So what happens is they put their eyebrow up here, they draw it up here to arch it out, and then their actual eyebrow. So this is fake eyebrow up here. Their actual eyebrow starts to droop over their eye now, and they say, "Well, I need it lifted. I want it out of the way." But they've deflated all this time too, so they're hollower. So then you say, "Well, I want to lift you, but if I lift you," it's gonna do this and your eyebrow is gonna be up here. So for that yeah. reason, you can only end up doing what we call a either tattoo removal in a brow lift or a direct brow lift, meaning you have to actually cut the tattoo out and then lift the brow at the same time, which can look very strange uh, if the tattoo isn't fully removed. So uh, it really limits you in the future. It makes you look dumb in the first place. So <laughs> even in the immediate future, you don't look good. You know, it, it's yes, I want to have higher eyebrows. Yes, I want to have a billion dollars in my account right now. Sometimes you can't. So, you know, you don't go I chasing. I want to have dimples. Like a lot of people in Saudi want to have dimples. And I hear yeah. that 
doing dimples is a very risky procedure. And, and some of them do it and then it looks really weird and bad after time. And it becomes a very long line from here to here. Uh, yeah, so a lot of dimple correction. I don't advertise it uh, or market it or tell people I do a lot of it because it's a lot of work in lasering. But I do a lot of dimple reversal. A dimple naturally occurs on somebody or it doesn't. That's it. So it's you know, not I love that you said that because I have friends that want to go to doctors just to create dimples, which is horrible because, as you know, it's not a successful surgery. Yeah, it's one procedure. of the surgeries you can't play. I've said this about other things, but like with noses, but you can't play Mr. Potato Head. You can't, you know, you, you know, Mr. Potato Head, the doll. There's a doll. Yeah, yeah of course, of course. You can't do that. So you can't look at somebody else, admire them and say, I want that. So go take it and put it on my face. You can't do that. Yeah. What dimples are is a form of muscular retardation. There is a form of muscular retardation where the muscle itself uh, doesn't form properly and it has uh, a pull on it or a dehiscence in between two parts of the muscle and the skin pulls in tight where it's not supposed to. Now it looks cute on people. Sometimes it looks crazy on people, but it usually looks cute. But you can't go form that artificially you're messing with muscles and, and you're messing with things that you can't reverse fully so even when i fix somebody i can't fully fix them it's sort of like when people say i don't want to do botox anymore can you please go cut my muscles here or cut my muscles here um, it's very unpredictable what's going to happen to that person are they going to age differently uh, can you ever fix it the answer to aging differently yes they're going to age very differently because the muscles in their face are no longer balanced you have muscles that usually pull against each other. Now they're unopposed. So the muscle ends up going this way. So these things where you touch muscles have a lot of long-term negative effects. On top of that, you should never do a surgery um, like that that's unpredictable that you can't reverse. A surgery that's very predictable, sure, that's fine, even if you can't reverse it. But an unpredictable surgery that you can't reverse, you shouldn't do. So I, I don't like them. Yeah. Uh, one, another question. I, know you have, I only have 10 minutes with you because Joseph, your assistant, told me you have a full day and he doesn't want me to, uh, to disturb your clients and your timing. So I, I, I don't have an, I have so much more to ask you, but I have this question. In Europe, they're, they're all pro threads, 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 and it's the new in thing, and even the Middle East. I want yeah. your honest opinion because you're a doctor that does facelifts. So I want to know your opinion on, on threads. A, yeah. So, so I'm a, in a unique position. Um, dermatologists, practitioners who do a lot of injectables, plastic surgeons, uh, they can all try to criticize me for my opinion, but my opinion is based on having done a lot of um, non-surgical and a lot of surgical. So plastic surgeons can't criticize me, dermatologists can't, oh, they can all criticize me, but I have experience <laughs> in all those realms. So when I'm giving it is not because I'm a surgeon and I believe in surgery. I believe in injectables. I believe in uh, lasers. I believe in a lot of things that are non-surgical. I like everything. Um, I'm just smart about it. And I think about the risks and I'm scared of everything. So threads, they're not new. There's a new type. So they were around for 10 years uh, and went out of favor around 2010 because they were causing a lot of indentations and dimples and high complication rate in people. And they weren't absorbable at that point. They had barbs. They were made of proline-type sutures. Uh, then maybe like five years ago, the newer absorbable threads came out and were less harmful. So you'd put them in the face and you can actually get small changes of t uh, tensile changes in the skin by making an area tense by putting this in. And the 
added benefit they propose is that you form collagen. So they're like, okay, well, it's healthy. It's not unhealthy, which mm -hmm. is a very limited viewpoint. It's, uh, you know, collagen can be good, it can be bad. So it's not that you're just putting like great vitamins in somebody, it's you're putting something they can irritate. So um, what I think about threads in the end is that uh, it is useful in some patients, it's useful for some practitioners who want to get an additional small change uh, to whatever fillers are doing or things like that. And especially for people who have upcoming events uh, who can't do anything else and they really, really need the improvement. Uh, so I think it's useful for, for some people in addition for little tiny tensile changes like that. Um, and it's fine to do, just don't do it repeatedly over and over again because you're gonna just keep depositing scar tissue slowly, but it'll happen over time. So don't do too much of them. Uh, the th places where I think it makes absolutely no sense is in the lip. In the lip, it makes no sense. Nobody should ever put it in the lip for any reason. You're only gonna cause problems. There's no benefit you could get. So you can only really cause problems. Uh, in the brows, I don't care if people do it or not so much. It doesn't seem super harmful, but I've never seen a, a big benefit in the brow. Um, in the nose, I've never seen a big benefit in the nose, and certainly I've seen a lot of complications. So um, I think it has limited use. The only real problem I see with it is people say it's a healthy thing, and that's complete bullshit. It's not a healthy thing. It's something you can do. You can do it safely. So I don't disagree with that. It can be done very safely. But you're not adding, don't, don't tell people you're adding collagen to their face for the benefit of their long-term aging. That's not true. Uh, but still, there are a lot of doctors here who do it and who do it well, and patients love it. So um, if patients love it, there's low complications rate, uh, complication rates, then I don't mind it. And that's usually in the mid face you see that. When they put a ton in the neck, it doesn't make a difference. I don't know why they, you know, I don't see any impressive. Only place I've ever seen real difference is like around here. You know, you're getting excited to come visit you in LA very soon. <laughs> Honestly, it's been so long. Uh, you can't imagine how we want to come and visit you. I and mean, there's so many, like you, you can't imagine the amount of people that have texted me right now that you're on my live and that they can't wait to come to LA after this whole situation is over. Uh, because you know the facelift is the hardest procedure like I think for a lot of women to actually take a decision to make because you know there have been, yes. been a lot of bad jobs and Lebanon is very big on facelifts and some some of them are a bit extreme so it's nice to see someone that's very detail oriented and uh, your work already speaks for itself and you're very known in Saudi so are you ever considering coming to our part of the world not Dubai I know you went to Dubai to Saudi right yeah, so I was planning to come to Jeddah and maybe Riyadh a, a couple of years ago. Um, but it's for now the way I'm booked about a year in advance for surgery at this point, And it's like very hard for me to plan unless I plan a year ahead. So I really do want to go. Um, for now, you know, there's a doctor that I trained who unfortunately is, is training with me was a while ago and I got cut in half because of uh, the uh, travel administration here. Um, but uh, Pierre Abi Akel, he's in uh, he's in Lebanon, and I hope I hope he's doing a lot of these now. I'm not sure. Um, otherwise, I'll continue to train people, uh, and I certainly have doctors yeah, from all around the world. I'm actually come. from Jeddah, by the way. I'm actually from Jeddah, but my husband's from Kuwait, so I'm speaking to you from Kuwait right now. But you have a big following. Oh, okay. Honestly, you can't imagine. Really, you can't imagine um, how much you're very well known. But we'll come to you because we need a break. We need a holiday. We want to come to LA. It's been so long. I. Beverly Hills is never a bad place to visit. 
You know, I'm an East Coaster because I studied in Boston. So I was always between Boston and New York. And I used to always visit LA, but I'm more of an East Coaster. Um, but definitely, uh, you can't imagine how I love this interview. I also know that uh, there's one thing I would ask you. I know you, you developed a, a couple of oils that you were into essential mm -hmm. oils. And one of your clients introduced you to that. So tell me more about the skincare line you're doing. Uh, because this is so important to me because I talk a lot about skincare and beauty. So I want to know more about uh, the oils because not everybody talks about oils. So tell me about that. Yeah, so um, I I used to have a skincare line. I still do, but I was focused mainly on the classic kind of uh, BB, you know, the BB moisturizers, the night creams, the eye creams, and things like that. Um, I got a little bored of them. Once, and so I made a whole list that I have of compounds that I made with the Pharmaceutical Compounding Association, uh, the PCCA, and um, I made some amazing creams for the eyes and things like that, but I didn't own them. They were just things that I would prescribe and I'm happy to. I don't care about profiting from those things. Um, so I went through that phase and then I discovered oils. And oils, uh, there's two camps out there. There's people who love oils and people who hate oils. Um, I personally really, really like oils on certain people, not everybody. So um, I came out with uh, an essential oil blend that has... It had initially, like, I started with 17 oils, or I started with, like, five oils, went, jumped to 17 oils, went to 20 oils, and then uh, ultimately blended, like, 22 oils all together to get a synergy out of them. And the cool thing about this oil is there are 22 oils in there, and all you really need for the whole face is, like, three, four drops, the tiniest bit. Like, I, myself, when I use it, I use it for ear eczema. I have dryness in my ear. I use it once a week, and it cures it, which is a crazy thing to say. You know, doctors can't say cure. And I trained in ears. <laughs> and it's amazing that you put this little drop in there and it calms down eczema. Uh, so I love this one. We use it, uh, we, we call it Aura Silk. And we use it for lightening, brightening, and healing, which means it tranquilizes the skin. It calms down skin. angry skin. And it helps skin that needs to heal. And people use this as a moisturizer it as a nighttime oil when they go to sleep because it calms them. It has uh, nice essential aromas in it. Uh, the only people who really can't use it are people who are uh, very oily. There's no such thing as a true drying oil. There's just oils that don't get you as greasy um, uh, for most people. So people who have very sensitive skin, I tell them to be careful because they can break out with it. So a small percentage of the population just can't use it. It's amazing. I, I, I want to try your oil. I'm going to... How can I order? Uh, just, I'll, I'll, I'll have it sent to you. So okay. we just need, I'll figure I, out. I, another thing I wanted to ask you, first of all, I really like the reality pill. It's a very smart thing that you actually did. And I think it's so entertaining and so, and so fun. And uh, on, one you. of your, um, on one of your uh, episodes or with one of the doctors, you said that um, understanding who's good in the market took you so much experience and took you such a good long time to know who's the good doctor because you know the ones that market on Vogue and all those magazines don't, doesn't mean that they're the best doctor out there so from some for someone like you who's a medical doctor for you to know who's good took you so long so tell us give me advice on or give everyone here advice on how to choose their doctor um, because as you know some people are very interested in marketing and what's on what's in the news what who, what, what celebrities are going to who and so tell me, how do you choose your doctor? If you want to do something, what do you look at? As you said, board certified could mean many things. <laughs> yeah. So, well, 
yeah. So there, I, I've met people who are like, who say I have five board certifications and you look at the board certifications and it's like bullshit board number one, bullshit board number two. <laughs> They're not real boards. Yes, there's a board. There's people that came together and they charge you to give you a title, but it's not a real uh, accredited board. So the truly accredited boards uh, like the uh, ASAP, the, the American Society of Plastic Surgery, uh, or Canadian Society of Plastic Surgery, you know, um, or AAFPRS, which is the American Academy of Facial Plastics and Reconstructive Surgery. These exist to make sure that people go through training and learn how to do basic procedures and not mess people up. So that's the yeah. whole idea of in my mind is how do you learn to be scared? You have to know what to be scared of. And you don't know what to be scared of unless you've really gone through training and you've seen procedures done by really well-trained people. And they tell you, you can do this, but please don't do this, 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 and this, because this patient's gonna have this problem. This patient's gonna have that problem. So that's like the base of all training. And that's what I believe you truly get from board certification. Board certification does not give you talent, does not give you the ability to make someone look good, does not give you, you know, the ability to be an intelligent person, doesn't do any of that. Yeah. It just makes sure that you got enough exposure that you're not gonna really damage people or you have a less chance of damaging people. So that's board certification. As far as who to you know, look for, it's, it's very, very complicated plastic surgery. You need someone who's talented, you need someone who's experienced, you need someone who's insightful and someone who's realistic. And it's very hard to find these things in a field that's filled with egomaniacs. You're filled with egomaniacs who went into plastic surgery because they think they're special. So it's, you're already, it's a challenge, plastic surgery, finding someone who's really, really good. So uh, you can have an amazing plastic surgeon who has a big ego, okay? But usually the people with the really big egos, uh, they can only get so good because their ego is so big, permit them to grow. Uh, and the people with the big egos are usually the ones who are attention seeking and do a lot of marketing and advertising. And they're the ones who tend to rise to the top of popularity. But nobody came as a group and said, hey, these people are good. Then you have groups we, of We're so surprised, by the way. I know a lot of people maybe go to the commercial doctors, but at the end of the day, if you go to the right, if you go see a really beautiful woman in Saudi and you know she's doing such subtle work, she'll tell you, that, she'll tell you about a doctor that's in New York or in LA that nobody really knows. And then a, start, a, a small group starts going to that doctor and then everybody knows him. Not everybody has that, like I don't have this mentality that I want to go to the, the famous doctor. Actually, I like to see the work in the beginning on someone I know. And if it's relatable, then I would go meet him. And I feel also there should be some sort of connection between you and that doctor. He understands yeah. you and you know what I mean? It's chemistry is also. It's chemistry and a lot of it is the patient has to have good taste and the doctor has to have good taste. Sure. And of ability because you can have a patient who has bad taste and they go and they look at results from a doctor who has bad taste and they go to that doctor and they get what they want and they got bad plastic surgery everyone else would agree they got bad plastic surgery but they don't see it that way yeah. so uh you know you, you'll always have that issue and those people are doomed and you can't help them uh, unless they coincidentally walk into your office and you save them but you can only save someone so long who doesn't have good taste because unless they stay with you, they're eventually going to go to somebody else and make a mistake. Um, but finding the doctor, it doesn't matter if it's a famous doctor or not famous doctor. You have to look for a doctor with experience. Experience can come in one year. Experience can come in 40 years. 
doesn't make a difference. You could have a, someone who got a ton of experience in one year and figured out how to do something that nobody else figured out how to do. Or it takes 40 years for somebody to get experience. You have to look for talent. You have to look for taste. So let's say you look at my website. If you look at every picture I do of noses, of faces, of eyebrows, of anything, you're going to find that everything turns out nicely because I don't have the ability in me to make something look weird. I don't like doing that. I would rather go like kill myself. I just, I, I quit. I just, you know, it's, that's not why I do what I do. I hate that look. Uh, there are some surgeons who do the best breasts you'll ever see, but then you look at their facelifts and it's terrible. Okay. It doesn't mean, okay, well, I'm going to go to that doctor for breasts. I'll be okay. That doctor has something in them that isn't right. So, you know, you have to look at somebody <laughs> who does everything really, really well. And that increases your chances of having something go well for you because in plastic surgery, any surgery, things can always go wrong. You have to go into it with fear. Yes. With hope. And I want these things, but you have to be scared of everything initially. And then at the end point, right before you do the surgery, you say, okay, doctor, I give you full trust and I will let you do anything to me. I know you can't hurt me. Uh, or if anything happens, you'll be with me and you'll take me through it and I will be fine in your hands. You know? So it's a big jump and leap to make, but you have to go through a lot of trepidation, a lot of fear and a lot of scrutiny before you get there. You really have to like drill somebody and figure out if they're the, the, the right surgeon for you. Thank you so much. I know you have a full day ahead, but I really had such a good time. I I'm not even done. I have, like, I have such a long list of questions, but maybe we do it again sometime uh, with more questions. I don't take yep. a lot of your time. I really had a good time. But please, if I book my appointment, don't let me wait one year. <laughs> It's so long. <laughs> I'm delivering in two months, and I'm planning to lose like uh, the weight and to come to the States after eight months of delivery so I can get nipped in touch because it's my last... Uh, Uh, baby boy, I have another, I'm having a baby in two months and it's another boy. So then I'm done and I want to come and do the whole um, mommy makeover thing. My pleasure. Well, congrats. I actually have a live with your um, colleague, Dr. Robert Cohen. Uh, in a Cohen. Few days. Yeah. So we'll talk about face with you and talk about body with him. Perfect. By the way, you know, a lot of my followers asked me before the interview, is he Saudi? I'm like, no, <laughs> you look Iran. very Arab. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my parents were born in Iran. Oh, really? So you're originally yeah. Persian? Yes. yes. Oh, amazing. So, I, was, I was wondering. I, did, I wasn't really sure. But uh, definitely yeah. all look uh, similar, you know, the region. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all the same. Yeah, genetics. yeah. I get a lot that I'm Persian when I come to LA. Of course. So guess... LA, you are Persian. So. I am Persian. <laughs> By the way, we were in Greece last sum, uh, two summers ago in Mykonos. And we made like all our friends were Persian. And they were all from LA. So I told my husband, I was like, Hamad, when we go, go next time, it seems like we're going to have a huge Persian community. In Mykonos or in Los Angeles? Yeah. There's still yeah. more. So, so Hamid, in, uh, over there is Hamid. In LA, he's Hamid. Hamid, so become... oh, okay. Yeah. And by the way, my name is Neda, and I did it, and it means morning dew in Arabic. And I was told that in Persian, it means a, a beautiful voice, and also it means hope. Neda. Yeah, Neda, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. here you're <laughs> It's so nice to meet you, honestly, and I hope to see you in LA soon, but you're giving me an appointment before a year, please. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> Thank you. Take care and have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. You too. Take care.